Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Learner's Corner Podcast. This is the podcast for lifelong learners where we learn from anything and everything. My name is Caleb Mason. And my name may or may not be Todd Hicksonball, a.k.a. the Todd Father. And boy, do we have a Uh-oh. great episode Uh-oh. for you today. Guys, I'm so excited. I'm so excited. It finally paid off. All of the, the months of me calling him out yes, has those, finally worked. For those of you who don't know or haven't been listening for very long, um, Todd has been trying to get Carrie Newhoff on our podcast for mm, almost, nine months. Almost this entire year. And today it is finally happening. Oh. It's happened. It's here. Kerry is on our podcast today, and we have a bunch of things that we're going to talk with him about. But he also has a book releasing today called Didn't See It Coming. Phenomenal book. Loved it. Um, if you're familiar at all with, with Kerry's writing or, or his blog or anything like or his that. Podcast, his podcast. Which we've recommended many times. We've recommended many podcast. episodes. Yes. By the way, if you aren't subscribed to that podcast. Do it. Do it right now. But um, didn't see it coming. Phenomenal book. Uh, it walks through different things that people don't necessarily see coming that cause them to burn out, cause them to to become a version of themselves that they just don't want to be. Yeah, they, they didn't see it coming. They didn't. Ah, uh, I see what you did there. Caleb's full of jokes today. But speaking of resources Uh-oh. and stuff that we recommend. What's the resource of the week, Caleb? My recommended learner's corner recommended resource of the week is a book by daniel coyle called the culture code everybody's talking about this book right now i love this book daniel coyle come on the learner's corner it's so good it talks about the different components of um of great teams great organizations that have developed um, incredible cultures like Pixar, or no, he doesn't talk about Pixar. That's a different book that I'm. That's a very right different now. book. Um, he talks about uh, the Navy SEALs. He also talks about um, the San Antonio Spurs yep. and kind of the secrets to building culture and the part that um, the part that safety and vulnerability and stuff like that plays into it. Real quick, what's your favorite part so far? A little snippet or a nugget that you've gotten so far from the book. Uh, I mean, one statement that is just really, and besides the building safety and, right, and sure. stuff like that, um, one thing, or one quote that really stood out to me was that um, you can't have empathy while you're talking. Ooh. And yeah. Ooh, that's rough. Yes, I Ooh, know. that's it's, rough. It's really powerful. And so we highly recommend this book. And we also recommend didn't see it coming by carrie newhoff and as we mentioned we have a great conversation we talk with him about the book we talk about some of the stuff that he's facing as a leader right now but before we get into that we want to tell you about a conference that we are going to be at um, at the end of this month we're going to be at the together conference some of you may remember that we went there last last year year. as well and it's about rejoicing reconciling and reimagining the church in akron ohio for gospel saturation and it's a half day conference and there's also a concert where they'll be celebrating god's movement and reimagine how the church of akron can rally around to build bridges incite movement and boldly step towards the people of akron to make the gospel of jesus christ known to every citizen together zach james and the guys that um are up at citizen zach and they're friends of ours and last year we went to this we hooked up with them to be able to do some stuff we recorded an episode and so this year we're going to get to do that again where we're just going to hang out 
um, and we're going to be at the conference. We're going to get yep. to, to kind of spend some time learning about what uh, about some things that maybe you and I don't always kind of enter into that world. And so we're going to we're going to learn and, and kind of take things in. Yep. And so it is on Saturday, September 29th. And if you want more information about all the stuff that Todd was talking about, we'll link to all that stuff in the show notes. They're releasing some of the talks. So they have their talks that from last year going out on their podcast, which is Citizens Akron podcast and so you can actually pick up the talks from last from last year's conference um you can find all that I, i'm pretty sure on the website yeah, we'll link to all of that stuff there in the show notes and then we're also going to be at a couple of other conferences um, coming up as well we're going to be at um orange tour in lancaster lancaster caleb lancaster it's pronounced lancaster i'm going to say it it's in lancaster on Tuesday, September 25th, we'll be there as well. <laughs> and then uh, we'll also be at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta. Heck yeah. In October. And so be on the lookout for us. Reach out to us. And uh, if you're there, we would love to say hi to you. It's going to be a party. But as we had mentioned earlier, we have a great conversation with Carrie Newhoff. And so we are going to enter into that right now. Well, Carrie, we are so excited to have you on the Learner's Corner podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me, Todd. Thanks for having me, Caleb. Appreciate it. You know, you as of uh, as of today, your book has just come out. You know, didn't see it coming, and just as we're getting started, we're curious of you know, just can you tell us the story of what led you to write this book? Yeah, um, and thanks for doing this on uh, launch day. I appreciate it. Um, you know, for me, the hardest part of leadership for me has been the internal journey. I mean, you can always take another you know, workshop, you can go to a conference, you can read a book, you can listen to a podcast. So I've never had a problem accumulating a skill base. Um, it's just not that hard, you know, go get a degree, study hard, read some books, you know, trial and error. Uh, but the internal journey of a leader has been way more difficult than I thought. And, um, you know, as I've shared fairly openly, 12 years ago, I burned out. And on the other side of burnout, I kind of took as many notes as I possibly could, both mentally and written. And I kind of thought, what what led to my burnout? What led to some of the other issues I'm struggling with on the personal side? And some of them, you know, in a very minor way, others like burnout in a massive way. And then what, what can I learn so that this doesn't happen again? And so as I collected notes, wrote about some of it on my blog, but just even, even thought more about it, I realized, I think there's a book in there. And I think there's a book that could help other leaders because as I started talking to more and more leaders, I realized, Oh, I'm not alone in this. Like there are, and there are maybe eight or 10 issues that we looked at possibly to cover. We settled on seven that seem to be fairly surprisingly universal experiences in leadership. Mm -hmm. So I want to go back to something that you said, you said, you know, the hardest part has been focusing on the internal journey. Yeah. of leadership. But as you were also saying, we have a tendency to focus on like all the external, you know, I'm going to listen to this podcast, go to this conference type of stuff. Why do you think that there is a tendency for us to focus on the external skills and stuff versus the internal, you know, character work? Oh, Caleb, you know this. It's just so much easier. Um, it's way easier uh, to not look at yourself, you know, in the same way, it's so much easier to point out faults in other people than it is to confess your own sins or yeah. own your own junk. Yep. Um, so I just think, you know, and I, I honestly, I think back to my early thirties 
And my wife was saying, you need to go to counseling. You need to go to counseling. I'm like, no, I send people to counseling. I don't go to counseling. There's nothing wrong with me. It's all those screwed up people who need to go. And so, you know, it just honestly, it's easier and it's way less painful. It's very painful to look inside. It's it's uncomfortable. You finally have to admit, gosh, there could be something wrong with me. Mm. So I think for all those reasons, I'll just, you know, I'll listen to another episode. Thank you. <laughs> Which you should do. I mean, you should oh, yeah. you should be smart. You should read books. You should you should take courses. You should, you know, listen to podcasts. You should you should be that guy. But um, a lot of people do that and they do none of the interior journey. And then they can't figure out why they're so miserable. Um, maybe they're they're unemployable at some point. Maybe, you know, or or here's what I think happens way more often than you know. We read all the headlines about the leaders who aren't in the room anymore, who who fell from grace, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what happens way more often than that? As sad as that is, uh, people just never reach their potential. It's like when God looks at you and He says, "Okay." You have the potential of doing all of this, and you're like, yeah, I'm not going to go on that interior journey. And as a result, you accomplish, I don't know, half, a quarter, or even three quarters of what you could have or what God wanted to do in you and through you. And so that's why I think the journey is so important. Mm -hmm. So as you said, you you write about seven different challenges in your book. Um, What would you say, or is there a particular challenge that you would say is more challenging for younger leaders? Yeah, um, I would say the one that has had the most resonance from, you know, the times I've given the talk on it, and certainly from the first couple thousand people who read the book in pre-release, for sure, it's cynicism, that it's the first section of the book. And that seems to just be reading people's mail. And honestly, I mean, I didn't, Ha ha ha! I didn't see that coming. I didn't. I wouldn't have guessed that. Yeah, I've got so many. I see what you did there. But you didn't see that coming. It's like I'm going to hear that for the rest of my life. Um, So anyway, uh, you know, the first time I ever talked about this subject, some of the the issues that I saw showing up, um, I said to a lot of leaders. I think it was a room about a thousand leaders. Hey, if you're under forty. Um, this isn't going to make any sense to you. Just, you know, take some notes and maybe one day when you're 45, you'll look back, it'll be helpful. And when I was finished talking about, you know, cynicism and burnout, uh, I, I couldn't believe it. There was a whole line of 20 somethings. I mean, 22, 23, 24 year olds with tears in their eyes going, nope, it's, that's my stuff too. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Like I, I thought I thought it was for people over 40. So I think that's been the big surprise to me is how young cynicism starts. I was talking to a leader in his 40s this morning in another interview. And, uh, you know, he was saying he thinks he was born cynical. So maybe it happened to him when he was eight or six. I don't know. But, yeah, these these that cynicism thing. And I think honestly, I think one of the reasons like when I was in my 20s, we didn't know a lot. I mean, the news was on in the evening. You saw a paper. Um, you had a much smaller world. And now every problem in the universe pushes to our phones every three minutes. Mm-hmm. And 
So I just I think there is an awareness and, and, and cynicism honestly roots itself in knowledge. You get cynical because you know, not because you don't know. And so I think because of the explosion of information and knowledge, cynicism is just easier and much more ubiquitous than maybe it even was a generation ago. How as a young leader do you work through that to be able to go through that? I know you talk about it a lot in your book, but I'm thinking about – um, in particular, somebody who's maybe just coming out of college and how for them, you know, there is a perception right now and everything that's going on in the United States and in Canada politically and all these things happening. There, there's this real thing where we come out and we feel like we're already behind. How does a young leader, do you lead through that? Yeah, I think a lot of it starts, you start the interior dialogue earlier than you might otherwise. A lot of it you know, is is based on an accurate self-diagnosis. So really, if you if you if you want to ask yourself, am I cynical? Am I not cynical? Because a lot of people wouldn't even know they you know, yeah. it's like the house you were raised in when you're if, if you were raised in a house and I wasn't. But if you were raised in a house where your mom and dad screamed at each other every day, you would think, well, that's just normal. Every family does that. Well, actually, no, not every family does that. Right. So, <laughs> you know, if you if you're a cynical person at 18 and you just think, well, this is the way everybody sees the world, not necessarily. So the question, the way the easiest way to tell is like, how much hope do you have? Mm-hmm. And if you've already found that your hopes are dashed, that you're predicting bad futures, that you're thinking that that your best days are not ahead of you, that you're reading bad outcomes onto situations that you don't even know a lot about, those are real signs of cynicism. And so I think what you what what it starts with is an accurate diagnosis. Mm-hmm. And then what you've got to do is the heart work. You you do the really difficult job of sort of going inside and going, okay, am I am I going to hope again? Am I going to trust again? Am I going to believe again? Because, or maybe for the first time, right? If you were always cynical, am I going to do that for the first time? Am I really going to put my heart? And I mean, when I wrote this chapter and when I went through that in my life, there was a period in my life, the year after I burned out where, you know, for a year I was finished with people. It's like, I'm not making any more friends. Okay. People are terrible. So I was in that space, but I really, when I got out of that funk, and I said, okay, I'm going to make new friends. I'm going to trust again. I'm going to hope again. I believe again. I almost felt like I took my heart out of my chest and put it in my hands and, and started offering it to the world, to God, and to people again. And that's incredibly vulnerable. Yeah. And cynical people don't do that. Cynical people, they hide in their shell. Yeah. Uh, they don't let anybody get in. And they're like, ah, well, I know what you guys are going to do with this episode. So see ya. You know, it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. do you really want to live that way? Do you really want to live that way? Do you really want to live that way? And I don't. So I think that's where it starts. Mm -hmm. So that's one of the challenges that typically faces younger leaders. What would you say is maybe one of the bigger challenges that older leaders face? Well, I think if cynicism starts young, I mean, all of those issues, I think, eventually show up to one degree or another in all of our lives. But I think the real challenge for older leaders is you get set in your way, your ways, and you just declare things to be normal. Like, well, of course, we're all cynical. Or, uh, yeah, you know what? I've been to the top of the ladder. It's empty. 
or yeah, I'm always just going to be insecure, you know, in dealing with pride. Or if you're as awesome as I am, then you would feel the way I do about myself too. So I think, you know, <laughs> we 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 end up in that place where we're we're you and you stop growing and you stop changing. There's that question, and I don't know whether you you know you're young leaders. I don't know whether you ask this or not, but you know, when will we arrive? Yeah. And I think there's a real temptation in your 40s or 50s to go, aha, you know, the eagle has landed. I'm here and I've arrived. And I mean, the moment you do that, I think it's game over. Like, uh, I, I hope I'm more curious now than I was 20 years ago. And I hope to be more curious 20 years from now than I am today. And so I think the real temptation with with older leaders is you stop learning, you stop growing. And you you just honestly, sometimes it's just fatigue, like you've done this for a long time and you're like, can't we just be done now? Can't we? Yeah, we're just done. Okay. no, if you're done, then you you are done if you do that. Right. So I'm just curious, uh, you know, I would say a lot of people would say, Carrie, if there's someone who has arrived. You are that. I mean, you have over 200 podcast episodes that you've done. You know, you have millions of downloads for your podcast. You've written books. You've been a senior pastor at a church, and yet you are still curious. What do you do to feed your curiosity? Um, well, I, you know, first of all, I wouldn't say I've arrived at all. I was listening to a podcast yesterday, listening to Jeff Lockyer, a friend of mine, interview John Maxwell, and John was doing a great summary of one of my favorite books he wrote, The Five Levels of Leadership. Yep. And it was really good. I sent it to my whole team. And I'm listening to him, and I'm, you know, he goes through the positional, the whatever, it's five Ps, whatever. I don't know what it yeah. is. But he goes to level four, where, we're, and I'm like, oh man, I'm stuck at level four. Like, I, I haven't done a good enough job of, of all this. And so I just look at the future, and like, I, I am more excited about the future in my 50s than I was in my 30s. And I feel like I have a little bit of advantage because I do know some things that I didn't know when I was 32 or 33 that I know today. But like, I feel like like there are so many more hills to tackle and so much I have to learn and so much I have to learn from other people. So how do I stay curious? I think it was coming to the realization, you know, on the other side of my burnout that this was going to be a lifelong project. And um, that that God like retirement doesn't hold any appeal to me at all. You know, we have friends who are starting to look at retirement and I'm like, no, like retirement to me is funeral service. That's my retirement. (laughs) Now, I don't need to draw a paycheck maybe the way I used to draw a paycheck and I don't have to be in the senior seat. I mean, I'm the founding pastor now, not the lead pastor at our church. So there's lots of things I can do with my life. I don't want to block the next generation, but I feel like I can be learning and contributing, I hope, for decades. And this is my fourth book, but I, I would hope I've got five or six more major books in me that I can get out of me um, in in the years that are ahead, um, you know, should I live that long? So, yeah, I want to be a contributor. I want to be a learner and I want to I want to grow. So and, and your favorite people are that, you know, yeah. the know it all at 55. They're not a whole lot of fun. You know, the grumpy, cynical guy at 70 who's like, let me tell you, young people, exactly what's wrong with all of you. <laughs> I mean, who wants to hang out with that guy? Not me. 
Yeah. So one of the, uh, one of our friends uh, of the podcast, he's come on um, in the past. His name's Stuart Hall, and, and Stuart talks about how everything in some way comes back to to being a spiritual issue. And, and and as I'm just was reading through your book, one of the things I kept coming back to is in every case I can draw a line directly to something that that could be attributed to spiritual drift, in a way. And so what um what are some of the practical ways that that we can begin to fight that drift to head things off at the past before, as you said, we have to go through a diagnosis and we have to to begin to say okay. I'm really falling into to, to cynicism, falling into this or that. What are things that we can do if we're saying, hey, I don't even want to get to that spot. I want to make sure that I'm fighting this drift before we even get there. Well, for me, it starts in the morning, Todd. And, you know, at the end of the book, I have this little epilogue or conclusion or whatever we called it. I call it Calvin meets Hobbes, which I honestly, I'm pretty proud of that title. <laughs> you should be. Is it, is it was that was that like a good coup? I'm like, I think I can do this. So it's 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 really John Calvin and Thomas Hobbes. So there's my pride. That's section five of the book. But and, anyway, and by the way, your Presbyterianism showed through in that section so unbelievably. It made me giggle. The reform people won't hate me entirely. No, because they won't. in the book. So if you're reform, just know that there's tiny bit of, you know, truth in that book somewhere near the end. Um, anyway, so, so yeah, but, but John Calvin, I mean, as he opens up the Institutes of Christian Religion, which I have on the shelf behind me, uh, says something really profound that doesn't get quoted a lot. And he says, without knowledge of self, there is no knowledge of God. Which is really quite profound, because a lot of people would go, well, that's heresy. No, 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 that's actually John Calvin. That is a direct quote. And, of course, he has a second component to that quote. Without knowledge of God, there is no knowledge of self. In other words, the only real way that you can truly know God is to truly know yourself. And the way that you know yourself is to truly know God. So for all the secular humanists— you don't really know yourself if you're on a journey of self-discovery because you don't really know God. And for all of us who maybe are far more theological than secular humanists, uh, if you don't know yourself particularly well, who are you deceiving? Because if you don't know yourself well and if you haven't got this sober honesty about who you really are, you'll actually never properly confess your sins. You, you will actually confess someone else's sins for them, but you, you won't confess your own. You won't realize that you're the one driving the wedge in your marriage. You won't realize that, oh my goodness, it's my pride. And so for me, the way to get to the heart of it and, and to stay away from the drift that you talk about, Todd, is you know I've got to start the day with a a real, for me, it starts usually at five o'clock in the morning. I open up the Bible and I look at, okay, what of God do I learn from this? And then what do I learn about myself? I'm doing a series next year in 2019. I don't know what I'm going to call it yet, but it's Genesis chapter three, which is like one of the most piercing analyses of human nature that you could possibly find in any literature anywhere, let alone all of scripture. And, you know, the Bible has so many insights about our problems, about my limitations, about the waywardness of my heart. And the more I'm honest with myself, the more I can just dive into that. And the, the better I will know God and the better I will know myself and the more God will say, well, now that you're releasing some of this stuff, Carrie, 
look what I can do through you. Look what I can do in you. Look what I can do in spite of you, which is most of what he's done through me is in spite of me. I'm, I'm pretty convinced. But yeah, it's that idea. And by the way, the Hobbes quote was that life is, what is it? Harsh, brutish, and short. Harsh, brutish, and short. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Calvin's knowledge of God and knowledge of self meets Hobbes quote in that from Leviathan. I think that was from Leviathan. Or was it the right? No, that Thomas Paine is the rights man. Yeah. What is Anyway, I got to check the footnotes in my book, but <laughs> I'm sure it's there. I'm sure it's there. We did some, some editor somewhere checked that. Where's that from? I think it's from Leviathan. I want to say that. It, I no, I'm bothered. There it is. Thomas Hobbes, Leviathan. Correct. Ta-da. <laughs> we have fact checked that. So, Carrie, mm-hmm. I wanted to shift gears a little bit and just ask you some stuff about leadership and, and, and what you see kind of coming down the pike um, in, in the future. And so one of the, I want to start this off by asking you, what, what's the biggest challenge that right now you're facing as a leader, and how are you dealing with it? I think it is that temptation, and you, you talked about it already, Todd, but it's the temptation to say, I've arrived. Um, you know, having led a church for 20 years, it's like, I'm really grateful that I did that. I'm excited to be for a few years now in this next phase of my life where I'm a founding and teaching pastor, but I get to spend more time writing books, doing things like this that I'm really enjoying. But it's probably that temptation that you've identified not to just hit cruise control. Like I get asked a lot of questions. I have lots of people who who are asking me to do things now, and it would be very, very easy to sort of press pause on my own personal learning. And sometimes I really worry that I'm putting out too much content and, you know, your output should never exceed your input as a thinker, as a leader. So I, I want to spend more time staying curious and, uh, you know, being asked for advice. And this is true of any leader. I mean, if you're leading student ministry, if you're leading kids ministry and you've done it for a few years, people ask you for things and that can stunt your learning curve. So I made a list of, of um, things that I'm trying to learn right now. So what am I currently reading? I'm reading uh, a biography by Walter Isaacson on Leonardo da Vinci, kind of outside my field. It's really so interesting. Good. Yeah, it's long and big and thick. It weighs like 500 pounds. But it's so excellent. I it's read really it, good. I read it at you the beginning it? of the year. Yeah, so good. Yeah, really good. Uh, Jordan Peterson, I uh, just picked up 12 Rules for Life. I'm listening to a lot of his podcasts. Uh, I love like Reed Hoffman's Master of Scale. Uh, fantastic podcast. Yeah. Uh, same with the Tim Ferriss show, listening to that fairly regularly. Last year, I read a great biography just for fun, The Wright Brothers by David McCullough. Really, really good. Um, I'm doing some people hacking with Melissa Von Edwards. I think that's her name on um, the books upstairs. So I don't what's it called? Anyway, I can't remember, but it's all about how to people hack and how to how to read body language and make a great first impression. Just, you know, really kind of weird variety of of books. But those are some things I'm reading right now. Have you, uh, have you looked into the compilation that Tim Ferriss has done of like Tribe of Mentors and Tools of Titans? Yeah, it's missing from my library right now because one of my kids has stolen it. But yeah, it will return. <laughs> so, it will return. I've thought about doing my own version, 200 podcast episodes in. Oh, yeah. But like that would be a three-month sabbatical. You'd have to sit down. I think <laughs> yeah. Tim Ferriss went to Paris and spent like four months. Yeah. Well, I'll say you would have at least two people buy that book. <laughs> 
You would. <laughs> well, you know, and that's that's a key to the future too. Is like content is one thing, but content curation is another. Mm-hmm. And to have two hundred episodes where it's like, well, listen to two hundred hours and you know, glean some wisdom. If you can take the principles and the ideas, and I really admire what Tim Ferriss has done with Tribe of Mentors and Tools of Titans. Um, He's done a really good job of culling diverse sources of information into a coherent whole. And I mean, those are also thick books, really thick Huge, books. Yeah. There's so, a- yeah, I think I think there is a future for that because we're not we're nobody is suffering from a shortage of information. Almost everybody's suffering from a shortage of meaning. And so I think the future belongs to those who can provide meaning in a sea of information. There's also a podcast called Tribe of Mentors that he made that goes along with it, and it takes about it takes each of the uh, the the people that he he interviewed, and it just re- it just it finished its first season after the first of the, uh, in January, and he's going to restart it back up in the fall. It's about 20 minutes where he interviews the person who he gave the quote or whatever in the book, and it is I'll tell you what it is great stuff. You know, I'm going to have to subscribe to that. I've, I've heard him mention that, but I'll yeah. definitely have to do that. So I found it a couple of weeks ago, and I, I finished it um, two nights ago, and it was phenomenal wow. because it gives you everything that you would see in the book, but, he, I mean, you get some extra stuff added in as well. Um, and it was, it was just phenomenal. I, the, the, my favorite one was he did an episode with uh, Scott Belsky. Um, oh, yeah. Just that one. That was phenomenal. So. Tribe of Mentors. Yep, the podcast. The podcast is pretty good. So, Carrie, I'm listening. Carrie, the, the the next thing I wanted to to kind of delve into with you is, is this: what's you're you're a guy who kind of watches culture and and kind of sees things what, what's going on out there. What's what's something that you you're seeing right now in culture that leaders might not be aware of yet, or they just aren't paying attention to at all, that you feel is going to be really relevant coming up, particularly as it pertains to the church? Yeah, I, I would say some of the leaders will probably be aware of this, but I just don't think anybody's taking it seriously enough. And I'm not sure I'm taking it seriously enough. But, you know, in the last decade, we have seen a massive shift in the world being, you know, totally analog, like human to human connection to being an analog digital hybrid that Clay Scroggins and I have talked about on my podcast. Lots of other leaders have talked about. And most churches sink 99.5% of all their resources into the analog experience, into mostly Sunday mornings. And so you think about what's happened. The biggest companies in the world are tech companies now, online companies. And all of our lives, I mean, you don't have to be rich. You don't have to be famous. You know, if you're, if you're making a below average wage, you carry a smartphone in your pocket. And, you know, half of your life is, is spent connected somehow to people you are not in the room with. And the thing for the church to remember is that everybody you want to reach is online. And, you know, when you got some 13-year-old running your Facebook presence because you don't want to invest any money into it, not that there's, we have lots of teenage volunteers, I'm not slamming them, but I'm like, churches are cheap. And they don't want to sink any money into their website. They don't want to sink money into podcasting. They don't, you know, you know, you mentioned hinted at the beginning about the downloads on my podcast. I mean, literally, I, I mean, that's crazy. 6.1, 6.2 million downloads off of what? 
a thousand dollar investment and then you know you can literally impact the world through something that you do from your house and most churches are not thinking that way they're not thinking that way does it have to be 50 percent of the budget no but should it be 10 percent? well that's a good start and should you actually hire bright people to run that stuff yeah or should you get your best volunteers out there absolutely like if you really want to reach people you're going to have to take that seriously so i just think that is one of the most um what would I say, just under-talked about issues in the church today, certainly one of the most underfunded and probably one of the most misunderstood. And what's the weirdest part about that for me is, you know, we live in it every day. Like, there's nobody listening to this podcast that isn't immersed in that technology, and yet we go 100% back to analog when we're in our church and we give lip service to the digital part of it. I just don't get that. Were, are you seeing any churches that are doing that really, really well? I know that you mentioned Clay Scroggins in, in, in the episode that you guys did together. Are, where, who's doing that really well? Well, from what I've seen, I mean, Life Church certainly is do, has done some of the best work on that field in the last decade, literally inventing Church Online, UVersion, um, you know, the whole open, what do they call it, open network or open, open church. Yep. Open, thank you. Life Church Open, that's what it's called. Yep. Uh, now they've got the Bible lens, and they're moving into augmented reality, and I'm sure soon virtual reality. So those guys have done it, and they've figured out a funding model that works. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's free to you, but they have donors behind the scenes who are literally pumping millions of dollars into this. And why shouldn't the church be innovative like that? You know, Nona Jones at Facebook is somebody who's come on my radar recently. Yeah. And uh, we've spoken at a couple of events together, although I've missed her in the green room. And like, I want to be paying attention to leaders like that. And so it's a future growth area, to be honest with you. I'm not sure a lot of churches are doing it well. Like we have, and this is the other thing that I'm really thinking about. I'm working on this for just a handful of leaders. I'll I'll probably publish something on it at some point. But the problem that I think we have, even with churches that are doing things well, is we're taking our analog Sunday morning experience and making it digital. Mm. But we're not actually thinking about new forms that are digital. Like like yeah. Amazon was not the recreation of Sears online. That's not what it was do- that's not what it was about. Amazon was something entirely different. And it started with books, but then it moved on to so many other things to the point where now sometimes it's hard to find books on Amazon because it's really a retailer. So okay. I mean You know, I think what we're trying to do is recreate the analog world in a digital space. And I think I think that is so limiting. And so what could the sermon be? What like is that the only way to reach people by putting your church online? Like, I think we got to do better than that. And listen, we're online. We broadcast live. We're on demand. We do Facebook live. Listen, I'm I'm just saying as, as a fellow practitioner, this is something that I need to push myself on as well. And you look at even long form podcasting. Jordan Peterson has been talking about that a lot. Uh, Brady Shearer and I talked about that recently from Pro Church Tools. You know, we're in, we're in the face of the biggest communication revolution in half a millennium, in 500 years. When I started my podcast four years ago, ev- pretty much everybody told me long form would not work. They're like, you got to make it 17 minutes, 22 minutes. And listen, there's lots of 17, 22-minute podcasts out there, eight-minute podcasts. I get that. 
But I thought, no, I think long form will work. But everybody told me it would fail. Well, you know, Jordan Peterson has now said fairly recently that we have vastly underestimated people's attention span. We've also vastly underestimated their intelligence, that people are capable of long form thinking and diving deep into conversations. And uh, I think the church is missing out on that debate. Mm-hmm. And that's something that I know Tim Ferriss talks about that fairly well. Um, there's a couple of episodes that he's actually addressed it directly about why he, whenever he writes even a blog post, you know, his blog posts a lot of times will go, you know, three, 4,000 words. Um, yeah. And it's like, well, why my do you average do that? blog post? I'm not Tim Ferriss, but like, you know, people told me again, 300 words, 400 words for a blog post. I heard that all the time. And, you know, at first I was six, 700 words. Then it got up to 800. I remember hitting a thousand. Then one day I hit 2000. Routinely, my blog posts are between 1600 and 2500 words. Now, I don't have any problem with traffic. Um, like people, people seem to love it and they're capable of deep thought. And, you know, even email frequency. A lot of churches are afraid to email their lists. Well, I have a list of 40,000 leaders that I email five or six times a week. Yeah, 20 people unsubscribe a day. Big deal. Big deal. I get to reach 40,000 people with hopefully some help and hope on a regular basis. And I think churches are just, they're afraid of the digital game. Mm-hmm. Definitely. We were, um, we were even talking about this just the other day, Todd. Of um, of just engaging uh, students because I'm a student pastor, engaging students through podcasts and even engaging our volunteers yeah. through podcasts, and while we're just trying to figure stuff like that out. So, Carrie, I'm just curious. We always have a few questions that we love to ask every guest, and one of them is, "What's one thing that is helping you either professionally or personally right now?" Oh, thanks, Caleb. Yeah, that was a good question. I really had to think about that. Uh, hard stops. And what I mean by that, the problem with a lot of leadership work, church leadership, business leadership, particularly for those of us who, you know, don't have any actual skills like me, you know, I don't know how to run a a crane or I don't know. I don't, I don't know how to do any real work. So I just do what I do is you could work all the time. I mean, with a laptop on the back porch, you could work from five in the morning till 10 at night. And I'm driven enough to almost do that. And so what I've done is I've and right now we're in book launch season. So I'm talking to you a couple weeks before my book launches. Actually, it'll be two weeks today at launches that we're recording this. Um, You know, I could work all weekend and I'm writing a new sermon series for September for Connexus. So here's here's what I've done. Uh, like tonight, um, I'm not working. Uh, Fridays have been off all summer. And uh, we're actually doing a day-long boat trip with my family, with my kids on Friday. Saturday, we got a family reunion. Sunday, I've got church, even though I'm not preaching. Like I call those hard stops. Like I have to fill up my calendar with other things because otherwise I'm going to be working all the time. And I think that's a real problem for a lot of people. So um, you know, make it make it difficult for you to work seven days a week and six days a week and fill up your calendar with other things. And if you look into the future, what my calendar says is just it has whole blocks that just say friends and family. 
And as the day gets closer, my wife and I sit down and say, well, who do you want to invite over? What do you want to do? Or, or that kind of thing. So um, hard stops, big, 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 big game changer. Because the reality is most of us could, you know, we don't have enough days for the work that's there. Mm-hmm. And the work always expands to fill the time available yeah. for it. So if you make time, less time available, number one, you'll be more efficient. Number two, you'll be more effective because you're actually getting breaks. And number three, you'll actually have a life. So mm-hmm. I'm enjoying my life. And you talk a lot about that in your high impact leader course too. Yeah. Um, talk, can you just talk real quickly what are the benefits that you have seen from taking these hard stops and these breaks um, into like your work life? Well, talk to me in a decade, but I can tell you I've got a 12-year <laughs> track record of not burning out um, yeah. by, by following some of the things that I teach in The High Impact Leader and also in the new book, Didn't See It Coming. Mm-hmm. Um, you've got to create a sustainable pace. And the, the single question that that I talk about in both places in the course in the book that has governed my life in the last 12 years is, am I living today in a way that will help me thrive tomorrow? And I think you got to run that through five filters. Like I run it through, um, you know, emotional, spiritual, physical, relational, and financial. And so, you know, I've already done uh, over 50 miles of cycling this week, and it's Tuesday, so that's good. I monitor my sleep. I'm trying to get seven to eight hours a night. That's good. Spiritually, uh, I'm trying to measure not just the quantity, but the quality of time I spend with God. Relationally, I got to be great with my wife, with my kids, and that's those friend and family times we've talked about. And then financially, it, it just helps to live with a little bit of margin. And you can do that whether you make a lot or whether you make a little. And so on all those fronts, I think, you know, I have to ask myself, am I living in a way today? Because what we tell ourselves, Caleb, all the time is we say, oh, it's just a season. And, you know, the problem is yeah. it's, it's only a season if it, if it has a beginning and an end. And for most of us, it's not a season, it's your life. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask myself that question. That's been helping me tremendously. And so I have to look at that question today. Am I living in a way today that will help me thrive tomorrow? Most days, the answer is yes. And if it's not, I need to see the end so that by Thursday, I'm getting out of the woods or by Saturday, there's a break. Mm-hmm. Carrie, what advice would you give to someone who is who comes to you and they're just so eager to learn? What advice would you give to them? Um, I would say probably what we talked about earlier, know yourself. Mm-hmm. Just the, 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 the highest form of knowledge. Everybody goes out to find themselves. I'm not sure anybody ever finds <laughs> themselves. I think it's, it's a whole lot better to, to know yourself. And, and that means the good, the bad, and the ugly. You know, it's Tim Keller's famous summary of the gospel, that it's worse than we ever imagined and better than we ever dreamed. Yeah. That that really is the paradox. And a lot of us are afraid because nobody has, you know, we've been so over-affirmed. Everybody gets a medal. You're awesome. You're wonderful. No, you're not. You're totally depraved and completely loved. And the closer we get, you know, it's a weird paradox, but the closer we get to that truth, the more I realize how how bad it is and how good God is, the closer I get to a meaningful life where I'm actually helping and contributing to other people. So, you know, it's, it, Tim, Tim Elmore has said 
something that really has impacted me in terms of thinking about the next generation. And he said, you know, because of the way we have over-affirmed people, we are raising a generation of kids with high arrogance and low self-esteem. High arrogance, because they think they can do anything, because that's what we've told them. But low self-esteem, because they know deep down that that's not true. Right. I can't do everything. Oh, my goodness, the world is cruel. (laughs) You know, whoa, I can get fired if I sleep in. Right. Yeah. You know, stuff like that. Mom just made my bed for me. But now people are going to fire me if I don't do the equivalent of making my bed. So it's high arrogance, low self-esteem. And uh, I I think a lot of that I would encourage leaders just look inside and you're going to see some stuff you don't like. Come to terms with it. Bring it to Jesus. Bring it to God. Go see a good counselor. And, and you'll realize, yeah, it's a little worse than I ever thought, uh, but it's better than I ever dreamed. <laughs> if you could have everybody learn one thing, and that could be roasting the perfect marshmallow, or <laughs> it could be some really, really spiritual thing, what would that thing be? Well, it'd be how to make a great brisket. That would be number one. <laughs> Clearly. And listen, <laughs> you should, I, I have an idea for you. I think you should write a cookbook. Your Instagram stories are basically like a cookbook. They are kind of a cookbook. But you know what? That would take all the fun out of it for me. Friends come over all the time. They're like, you should open a restaurant. I'm like, I'm closing it day one. (laughs) It's fun. It's fun because I don't have to do it and I get to do it. Um, It would be terrible for me to get up and like make brisket every day. So there's number one, make brisket. But number Number two, uh, and it's a theme in, in our conversation so far, but it would be this. Work twice as hard on your character as you do on your competency. Your character is what everybody remembers. You bring who you are into everything you do. And, uh, you know, unfortunately, I'm doing another funeral this week. I don't like doing them. And I've done my share, as I'm sure you guys have as well. And, you know, I've never been around a casket and had the grown kids say, hey, you know, my dad had a really impressive last quarter. Or, you know, this was his net worth. Or, you know, man, his results in the, in the last three years were just through the roof. Like, you know, all the stuff that impresses us doesn't impress anybody else. My kids don't care about my stats. They don't, at the end of the day, do they really care how many books I sold? No. Does my wife? No, I mean, she, of course they're happy. Right. But, you know, nobody really cares about that stuff. What do they remember? They they remember who you were. They remember how you treated them. They remember whether you had time for them. They you know, the the, death has a way of distilling people, people's whole lives, like decades, 60, 70, 80 years into a sentence. And at the end of the day, your life and my life is going to be reduced to. Oh, yeah. Remember, Carrie? Yeah, he was fill in the blank. You get five words. What's in those five words? That's your character. He always, he wasn't perfect, but he always had time for me. Or I know he did his best. Or I know he loved. Or, you know, he loved God and he loved me. And if that's what people say, because sometimes, let's be honest, you've been in places where, you know, I've met with the family and there's not a lot good to say about dad after he died or mom after she died. And, you know, the eulogies are short for a reason because people are trying to be positive. Uh, and I don't, I don't want to live that life. And that is a hundred percent your character. Competency gets you in the room. Character keeps you in the room and character is what people remember when you're gone. 
And then finally, one question that we always love to ask, and you've kind of talked about some of the things that you're learning, but is there anything else that you're learning really right now that's just rocking your world? Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, Caleb, I would say I'm seeing my limits more clearly than I ever have before. I've known for years that I'm not good at everything, but I'm really only good at a few things. So to know your limits. Another thing is the value of reps. Once you know your limits and you get those 10,000 hours in or whatever it is, um, whether that's interviewing or writing messages, like my life basically is down to communication these days. So I'm either writing, speaking, interviewing somebody, occasionally being interviewed or um, building into my team. That's basically what I do these days. Um, and just the value I have, first of all, it's a sweet spot for me. I love doing it. I love rolling out of bed every morning. It's like, wow, I get to do this. And, uh, then just the value of being so narrow is that you can become really, really, uh, you know, everybody uses the phrase world-class, but I just, I can get better at it year after year, month after month. And sometimes it's incremental, but like, I am learning how to be a better interviewer. I'm learning how to be a better communicator. I'm I'm studying writing. I want to learn how to be the best that I can be at this art of communication. Communication communicating I hope a message of deep importance, the gospel. Have you uh heard of or read the book The Creative Curve? No. No, I haven't. You should check that out. We talked with him a few months ago, and it sounds very similar to a lot of the things that you're talking about. I think you would enjoy that a Who ton. Wrote it? His name is Alan Gannett, and <laughs> it is it is one of the best books on um, crafting your creative skill that I have ever read. Hmm. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Well, I appreciate that. Yeah. No, it's good to hear, it's, hear of new things. It's worth a Google, at least. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, Carrie, thanks so much for being on the Learner's Corner today. If people want to continue to learn from you, find the book. Where's the best place for them to do that? They can go to didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. Didn'tseeitcomingbook.com. That is uh, the book's website. And uh, also Amazon, wherever you like to get your books, it's available everywhere. Awesome. Well, thanks so much for being on the podcast today. Thank you for having me, Todd. Thanks so much for having me, Caleb. Okay, Todd, I feel like I have to ask you first, what was one of your takeaways from our conversation with Carrie? So Carrie Newhoff said my name. That's your takeaway? I want to start off with that. Um, That was big. Outside of that, though, there were some awesome things that I think came out of that conversation. I think one of them was later on when we were, were asking him just some, some questions about uh, what he thinks right now people aren't paying as much attention to that they should be. He talked about the digital footprint of churches. And I, I've just, I just had a conversation the, the other day about this, and I think that it was huge. And for me, as I'm thinking about, you know, both of us, as many of you guys know, we um, our context is we work in a local church. And so as I'm thinking about that, it was huge because as we look more and more at the demographics and the people who we're trying to attract to our church, that demographic more and more is relating to um, organizations through an online presence first. And so first impressions isn't happening within our buildings, it's happening online. 
So our digital footprint as it pertains to social media, our digital footprint as it pertains to our website, and even how we have a continuing, ongoing relationship and interaction with people is all moving to a digital setting. And I just think there's so many applications. A couple of them that I thought of was, what would it look like if we began to have an online pastor that helped to facilitate online small groups? Now, people might think that's weird, right? We live in an age where people are more connected than ever, but at the same time, they're lonelier than ever. But think about an online interaction. This isn't double tapping on Instagram. This isn't liking something. This isn't tweeting something out. This is you've signed up and you've signed up, and now there's an intentionality between it. And I, I've heard stories all over the place of just online school, online like getting degrees and things like that, and how you can't hide in online interactions like that because you have to be intentional by just by the mechanism through which you are operating in that. I think there's so many applications through that. Obviously, you know, one of the strong statements I think he said was when he talked about how um, we in the church world, we tend to think that we can just simply plug and play and we're just going to do church like just drop our Sunday morning services onto a Facebook Live video or whatever, and, and that's our, our digital footprint. We need to go way beyond that. We need to go way beyond that, become innovative, be kind of the, a pioneering source of what it looks like to engage with people online. Yeah, um, and this is something that we've been talking about a lot too, is figuring out how can we engage people uh, whenever they're on demand. Yep. Instead of it being, hey, you come to us for this one hour, um, but engaging with the other 167 hours during the week and creating on-demand content. And that's something that, um, that I've started thinking about, too, of how we could do that at our church. I think the other big takeaway for me um, was just the, just the importance. And he talks about this so much on his podcast and in his books and everything. Um, but the focus on the internal skills and the internal uh, character development over the external um, skills yep. and just really how difficult that is. And that's something for me, I'm always trying to think of, you know, what's the next podcast I can listen to? What's the next book or conference and so on and so forth. And sometimes the neglect of my character sure. and the internal um, qualities as well. But if you're ever looking for a book recommendation or if you're wondering what podcast to listen to, just tweet at Caleb Mason and he will let you know. Yeah, I can definitely help you out on that. Now, we had a great episode Phenomenal. talking with Carrie, and we have a great episode next week. Next week, we are talking with... I got a new person to shout out, Caleb. Okay. It's not It's not Carrie anymore. I mean, we've had Carrie Newoff. Come on. I've got it. Are you ready for this? Yes. Craig Rochelle. I want Craig Rochelle on this podcast. Craig, if you're listening, which I'm hoping you are, I need you to come on the podcast. I want to talk leadership development with you. I want to talk about future of the church. Craig Groeschel, we need you on the podcast. Thank you so much, Carrie, for coming on and, and talking with us. Now you can go on with your end of the episode. Okay, thing. thanks. Well, Craig is not coming on the next episode. <laughs> but next week, uh, we have a great guest. We're talking with Adrian Pay. And Adrian talks with us about the experience of people who are in minority groups uh, that they have in organizations and the challenges that they face and um, really just the experience that they have in organizations as well. And so the best way to make sure that you don't miss our next episode is by subscribing to our podcast on whatever podcast player 
you use. If you learned something from this episode, leave a rating, write a review of the podcast. It's the best way to show your appreciation. Helps us out. And to help spread these types of conversations as well. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. Until next time, my name is Kayla Mason. And my name is Todd Ball. And until next time, keep learning and keep growing. Deuces, y'all.